This is HPR episode 2598 entitled, Calculating Planetary Orbits in Haskell. It is hosted by Tuturto and is about 29 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Tuturto talks about calculating planetary orbits. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org forward slash donate. Welcome to the Hacker Public Radio. I'm your host, Tuturto, and this show will be about planetary orbits and Haskell. The program I'm talking about here is based on the guide by Paul Schleider. There's a link to his uh, webpage in the show notes. I recommend you to check that out because that's a, that has a really good explanation of these things. There's also a uh, other links on the on the show notes on on the Wikipedia about the terms that I'm going to use. I'll try to explain them here, but the Wikipedia articles are probably a lot better. So first, word about coordinate systems. In in general, fixing a location of an object requires a reference point or origo, and since Everything in the space is moving. There's a many, many, many different coordinate systems to pick from. And in a given problem, a correct choice of coordinate system makes calculations a lot easier. For example, and nothing nothing prevents you from switching from one system to another as the need arises. For example, if we were to travel from Earth to Mars, we probably would start from the geocentric system, system where, where the origin is around the Earth, and switch, at some point switch, when we leave the Earth, switch to the heliocentric system, where the center is the Sun, and planets are moving around it, and when we enter the, into the orbit of the Mars, we would switch to the mass-centric system where the mass is in the center because less there's a moving things of rather funnily moving things the easier it is to do the calculations and this does not even take account that you have to move on the surface of the planet on the surface of the planet you have yet another set of coordinate systems next uh, about orbits that we are going to cal- calculate so we are going to calculate how the planets are moving in the space. But uh, orbits of the planets are elliptical, and they are slightly tilted, and they change slowly over time. And there's uh, six orbital elements that can be used to define shape of the 
shape and the shape of the orbit and location of, location of the planet on that orbit. And first, first one of those is the eccentricity. As I said, orbits are elliptical, and eccentricity just tells how elliptical they are. Are they completely circular, or are they really, really squished? And if the L, L, uh, if eccentricity is high enough, that means that the, it's a, the orbit isn't a elliptical anymore, it's a parabolo, para, paraboloid, meaning that the object just swings past, the, for example, the sun, and never comes back. Next one is semi-major axis. This is a, a sum of periapsis and apoapsis divided by two. And periapsis and apoapsis are the points on the points on the orbit that are closest and farthest away of the body that we are orbiting around. And this well, basic basically is basically it's the if you take the ellipse, draw the longest possible line you can inside of it and half it. This is the seven minus axis. Next one is inclination. That tells how tilted the orbit is, because orbits aren't completely on the level in regards to the reference plane. I mean, they could be, but they usually aren't. This tells, tells how much how, ma how, man how many degrees it's tilted, which means that with, uh, when there's uh, any inclination, the planet is sometimes over the reference plane and sometimes under the reference plane. And uh, a reference plane in this case, when we are talking about the uh, planets orbiting the sun, is the ecliptical plane, which is defined by the plane that the Earth is rotating around the Sun. So, actually, the Earth, Earth, Earth has a zero, zero inclination. Uh, next one is longitude of the ascending node. This tells where the orbit transfers from below to above of the ecliptic, ecliptic plane, because not all the ellipses are the neatly in the same same direction with the long tail pointing to the same direction. This this defines where exactly how, how if the if the if the um, ellipse is rotated. And last one is the ah, actually not last one. Uh, next one is argument of periapsis. Sometimes you are this is called the argument of perihelion or argument of perige, depending on what you are orbiting. But periapsis is the general, the general, general term. Perige, perige is when you are talking about objects orbiting around the Earth, and perihelion is when you are talking about objects orbiting around the Sun. But this, this one defines the rotation of the ellipse on the orbital plane, like. You can imagine this by sticking sticking the stick 
on jo send off the orbit and rotating it slightly. This, this, rotates, this rotates the ellipse on the plane that is defined by the orbit itself. And last one is the true anomaly. This defines position of the planet as an angle on the orbit at some given special time called epoch. And in, I have linked a Wikipedia article that has a nice little drawing about all these elements. I recommend you to check that out because it's a lot easier to see that picture and understand like, oh, this is how, how, how the angles and axes relate to each other. It's rather difficult to explain it while speaking. And uh, because we are dealing with the computers, we are dealing with the radians. All the trigonometrical functions that Haskell uses are done, uh, uses radians that as an unit of the angle. So I had to write a couple helper functions to convert to and from and basically between the degrees and radians and then there's a little helper function that clamps the degrees to between to 0 to 360 degrees that's not really well that 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 isn't really needed but it it makes a output of the program slightly nicer because it's it's easier at least for me it's easier to think that there's a angle of 10 degrees than there's angle of 370 degrees. It shouldn't make difference to the result of the calculations. But in any case, I made, I made one that was suggested by the, by the slide anyway. Slide, sorry. <coughs> and then, like, like I said, the orbital elements change over time, so we need a time and that is it. that is expressed as a fractions of days since the 31st of December 1990 midnight. Okay, now we now we now we know what we are talking 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 about. So I I can start going through the actual calculations. Well, I'm not going to going to read out the equations and or even try to explain how they do the different transformations. For that, it's a good good idea to check the tutorial that I linked. So, um, the, I, I, made, I made this as an experimental program. I have written this in a, several times with various languages, and now I wanted to try, try to writing it in Haskell and see how the type system can be used to enforce calculations to use the correct correct uh, types like there's a plenty of different coordinates plenty of different angles and I want the type system that makes sure that I don't mix for example positions in different coordinates this is this can of course done with pretty much any statically typed language so um, I started by defining Sun, Earth, and Mercury. They are just algebraic data types without any parameters. So I can just say that something is 
sign or uh, on Mercury. And then I defined a type class orbit. That is the, that as name suggests defines orbital parameters. This has two type parameters, center and the body. Because this way I can express on a type type level that Mercury is rotating Sun and Earth is rotating the Sun. And if I were to try to calculate how Mercury moves in relation to the Earth, I I I would mix up all those all those various numbers. I I would be able to calculate location in some coordinate system of the Earth in respect of the Sun and Mer Mercury in respect of the Sun, and then translate them and get the location of Mercury in respect of the Earth. So that's that's why I defined this with two type parameters. And this regards turning on the multiparam type X classes and flexible instances and flexible context extensions for the Haskell. I'm not 100% sure what, what those actually do. I know that multiparam type classes is needed to be able to define type classes with two parameters, but those later on I had to turn on to get the program to compile. As you might have guessed, I'm not terribly good at the Haskell. It's a, more of a that more of a hobby of mine where I play with that now and then. So uh, in this type class orbit, I have functions that are used to calculate those orbital parameters that I mentioned earlier with a uh, with, uh, given date, given day. So if I were to compile long, longitude of ascending node and give that two, two parameters, Earth and Sun, and some date, that would give me the longitude of ascending node of Earth's orbit around the Sun on that given day. And return values of all these functions are also um, also algebraic data types with two parameters. So the longitude of ascending node that is given me actually encodes that this is Earth's longitude of ascending node around on an orbit around the Sun, and it has this value. Same with the inclination to eclipse argument of periapsis, semi-major axis, eccentricity, and mean anomaly. This, this, this are, it just makes it easier to deal with things when you have a bunch of angles floating around. And as I, as I mentioned, uh, Haskell, Haskell uses radians, like pretty much as expected almost every programming language. And I cannot visualize degree, uh, radians that easily in, on my head, so I wrote a type, type, uh, algebraic data type degrees 
that can wrap anything and type class decreeable that that is a type class with a single parameter and single function to deck. So if I create an instance of long of a, if I create an instance of for example mean ana of of that decrease that means that any mean anomaly where it any any where it for any orbit I can turn into decrease. See just simplify saying to dig and the value of that mean anomaly. And it actually wraps the mean anomaly it wraps the mean anomaly value into decrease algebraic data type because this changes the type so I don't accidentally use this converted value somewhere later on the program. Anything that isn't wrapped into decrease is radiance and any anything that has been wrapped to the decrease cannot be used in the calculations. So now that we can calculate our orbital elements in respect of given date, because they slowly wander around, we can start working on the position on the orbit. And this is first we need the eccentric anomaly. This I this I tried to research what this actually is, but I couldn't figure it out. Turns out that there's a three Major, there's three anomalies, eccentric anomaly, mean anomaly, and true anomaly that all relate to the angles on the orbit. And the true anomaly is the location of the planet as an angle, and the mean anomaly is a sort of mean value. Like, if, if the the if the planet were rotating a, or orbiting a completely circular plane then or uh, sorry orbit then the mean anomaly and true anomaly would give the same answer I think. You better but yeah. but anyway, uh to first we first we need to calculate this. We have a mean anomaly. This is convenient mathematical angle I've been told but we need to turn that to a, into a true anomaly so that we know exactly where the planet is on the orbit. And we do that by first calculating the eccentric anomaly, which needs the mean anomaly and the eccentricity, how squished the orbit is, and produces an eccentric anomaly. And with this, we can combine with the eccentricity again, get the true anomaly. So this gives, the, gives you the angle of the where the planet is on the orbit. And then we calculate the distance of the objects, the object we are orbiting around, and the object that is that is doing the orbiting, which is uses a eccentric anomaly, eccentricity, and semi-major axis, and produces distance 
between these two objects. Again, distance is a algebraic data type, so it actually says that this is a distance of, for example, Sun and Mercury. It is pretty convenient when, yeah, it's just pretty convenient. And with these two numbers, we have to we have to fix the relative location of the object. Of course, this is in a polar. No wait, I think it's a polar coordinate system, and it's on a orbital plane. So we know the distance, and we know the angle between the, our reference point and the angle that the planet is currently. But uh, this is, uh, like I said, it's an orbital plane. It's a plane that is defined by the, well, basically, basically it doesn't take the inclination into the account. And for this, we want to rotate our coordinate into ecliptic coordinates. This is the coordinate system that is defined for example, with sun in the origo and with a three-dimensional uh, grid, you, you come on XYZ coordinates. And if I remember correctly, the Z-axis points to the upwards of, from the ecliptical plane, as much as there's upwards in the space. I think it's a north. I think it's defined that the the side that has the north pole of the Earth is the up, and the x points to the vernal equinox. But uh, that's that's not so important when it comes to this 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 episode. We just want to throw it into the three 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 dimensional coordinates called ecliptic ecliptic coordinates and from here we need the true anomaly distance because this is the location of the planet that we are and this location is what we are rotating longitude of ascending node which and argument of periapsis and inclination to ecliptica and with a bit of trigonometry we can rotate our orbit our, our location on the ecliptic coordinates. And uh, if we want to calculate where the stuff is when viewed from the Earth, this is not yet enough, of course, because these are in relation to the Sun. If we were standing on the surface of the Sun, then we could use this, continue using these coordinates, but we are not standing there. So we need to translate the we, we need to transfer the origo of our coordinate system from Sun to the Earth. And this we do by, by, by calculating the location of the Earth. Actually, the tutorial uses, uses the system where the, that treats Sun as orbiting around the Earth. But it's just a matter of point of view, basically. But uh, we calculate the location of the Earth, we have the location of the other planet, Mercury in our example, and then we just 
and uh, both of them are using the same coordinate system, so we just sub subtract those coordinates from each other, and we end up with the Mercurius allocation on the Earth-centered ecliptic coordinate system, which is, which is starting to get where we want. But um, this, is, this is not all yet. The three-dimensional coordinates are not that easy to visual point from the Earth, or rather they contain extra information we don't need. So we are moving things to the equatorial coordinate system. And this you can imagine that you would slice the Earth from the equator, equator from the latitude of zero degrees. And the the plane that is defined by that is the equatorial plane. And the, on this coordinate system we express things in a right ascension and declination. Right ascension is tells the direction on the on the plane and it's given in hours actually. Because the Earth rotates around in 24 hours, so the plane is divided to 24 hours, and those are divided into the minutes and seconds. And declination is the how angle of of the object from that of from that equatorial plane. So zero degrees is it's on the plane, and 90 degrees it's at the Zenith, so somewhere really close to the Polaris. And for this we need the our ecliptic coordinate coordinates given in respect of the Earth, not not to the, on respect to the Sun, and current day, and we can calculate the location of the planet in the equatorial core coordinate system. And this is this is now at the point where you can go outside and point to the sky and say that okay, my computer program says that that bright dot over there is Mercury. So and this concludes our calculations for now. There's a future improvements that could be added, like you could translate into the horizontal coordinate system which takes into account your location on the surface of the Earth because we are not standing in the middle of the Earth we are standing on the surface of the Earth so we would need to rotate things yet again and take day of the time of the day into account so we could get a, our angles in respect of the horizon of the your local position. This would make it even easier to find where the where the sun uh, where the planet is on the sky. And another thing I might add later is the calculations for perturbations. 
because these equations used so far assume that there's only two objects. There's the thing that we are orbiting around and then there's the thing that we are orbiting in. So they are nice and clean and easy, easy calculations, well, easy, easy when you copy them from the net. But there's uh, nine planets in the solar system. All of them are tugging each other constantly. All of them are orbiting. There's some huge ones like Jupiter and Saturn. So every time those planets swing by, they are messing up, messing up with the orbits of another planet. So the orbits, the, orb, the orbits wobble somewhat. So we would have to, we would. It's not, it's not too difficult. It's not too too difficult, but I haven't written that part yet. But we would have to take into account how those big planets change the orbits of another planets to get into even better accuracy in the in the in these calculations. These are already enough that you can really go outside outside and point that that's the that bright dot is is the planet I'm interested in. But well, that's that. That concludes this this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please let me know, or even better, record your own episode. See you later. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.